for our scripture reading this morning, I just want to say thank you, Sweet Communion, for your response in preparing this building for the funeral this week. And uh, what a blessing it was to see at work come together and to see uh, this place be uh, a host to minister in the lives of our family who, who uh, lost their loved one, as we all grieve in that loss as well, but it's, it's good to grieve together, isn't it? And you made that possible by uh, transforming this place and cleaning it up and setting it up, and um, I thank God for that. Thank you for your, your help in that. <clears throat> All right, our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 4. I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles. We're going to read just the first six verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. Let's all stand together in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. God give us understanding in this portion of, word, of his word that we read through and preach through this morning. If you remain standing with me, let's have a word of prayer, and then our choir will come for special music before the uh, preaching of God's word today. Father, we thank you for your comfort as we grieve together as a family in the loss of Sister Beverly. We thank you for the funeral time together and, and the, the word being preached, the gospel going out. We pray, Lord, that you would minister, continue to minister to the family in their grief and to those who are saved, to give them comfort to know that Beverly was a child of yours and you are pleased to take her. It's with joy you take each believer at the time that you have set aside. We pray your comfort for the family, for for Lawrence and Charmone and for Charles, that you would continue to watch over them. We thank you, Lord, for their spirit of ministry. Since that time and during that time, they have continued to be faithful in serving you and serving others here in this ministry. We think of the Milwaukee Rescue Mission that both Lawrence and Charles have been a part of, and think of the Fall Social that they all three have been a part of, Lord. We just thank you for their willingness to serve you during this time of grief. We pray your comfort for them and for us as we 
go through this together. We pray for those who have been sick, Lord. We think of Minnie Kathy and asking you to continue to watch over her. Sister Lola Spears, thanking you again that she could be here today and thanking you for her faithfulness, Lord. Praying that you would just uphold her physically and, and encourage her heart spiritually as well, Lord. To know that she's doing the right thing and being faithful to you and serving you. Lord, we pray um, um, for, for all others, Lord, who are suffering in different ways physically, Lord. That you would watch over and bless. I thank you for um, your care for my wife. I pray, Lord, that you just continue to watch over her, bless and heal her. I thank you for all the prayers that have gone up on her behalf. She said this morning that it's the prayers of the saints that is an encouragement and a, a help to her, that she could literally feel that, and we thank you for that. Pray for my dad, Lord, and his health, that you would strengthen, that you would encourage his heart during this time. And Lord, for others who, who suffer and go through the different challenges from Mac Holden, dialysis that he faces, Lord, for, for Bonnie and um, all the challenges that she faces physically and makes every effort to be faithful and serve you in the ministries that you have uh, appointed her to. We thank you for Dwayne and Savannah, them being back and safe. We pray, Lord, that you watch over and, and keep them. Lord, we just thank you for, um, thank you for your blessings. We pray, Lord, that you would just take your word today, minister to our hearts through it, that our lives might find their comfort and their confidence in you, their joy in you, and that we might be a testimony for others who don't know Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Please be seated. Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love. And righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I 
His body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth that glorious day, up from the grave he Precious blood of Christ In Christ alone I place my trust And find my glory In the power of the cross In every victory Let it be said of me my source of strength, my source of hope, in Christ alone I place my trust and find my glory in the power of the cross. And in every victory, let it be said of me. My source of strength, my source of hope in Christ alone. No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. Till He returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ thou stand. There's a saying, it's not a biblical saying, but it is true that when it rains, it pours. And uh, that's a spiritually true statement is that trouble tends to come in bunches, doesn't it? <laughs> this has been a trying week, and um, in trying weeks, we trust in God. We depend on Him. I praise the Lord for prayers of the saints in a time when saints can come together and lean on each other and share in the, uh, in the challenges that we face. So praise God for that. <clears throat> Our text this morning, 1 John chapter 4, a look to the Word of God. Testing the spirits. 
testing the spirits. Beloved, it starts with. Beloved. So it's talking to believers, those who have put their faith and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. John can call them loved by him because he loves all who are God's. They have a special place in his heart because they are joint with him in Christ. Beloved. And he gives a warning. Do not believe. (laughs) That's an interesting statement in the Bible. Don't believe. Don't believe. Don't believe every spirit. Now, I ask myself, have I ever heard a spirit? I don't know that I have. I just haven't experienced that. Where an angel has come and spoke to me. And I've heard his voice. That hasn't happened to me. So what does he mean? Do not believe every spirit. How is it that spirits, and it is talking about angelic beings or or creatures that we call angels, whether they are wicked angels that we call demons or God's own holy servants that we tend to call angels. This is what spirit has in reference to. So it says, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So one thing is everything that sounds right may not be right. Check it out. Everything that sounds good may not be good. The Bible portrays Satan. In fact, it says this about Satan, that he was a beautiful creature, and he makes appearance as an angel of light. Why would he do that? So that he might deceive people. And in his deception today, he follows that same characteristic. Not everything that he says is wrong or a lie, but there's a lie in it, and we ought to reject his lies. If every single word that he says was a lie, it'd be easy to find out and to know who he was and easy to discern him. But it says here, test Try, examine, discern what spirit is speaking. And that's a hard thing to do because it's not always apparent. So he challenges Christians to do this. First of all, let's look at what he says. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. He's saying there are some spirits that are from God and there are some that are not. Now, keep in mind, these beings have a, 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 they are superior to us in their physical strength. In other words, what they can do physically is greater than anything that we can do. And they are superior to us, it would seem, intellectually. So we can't get into an argument with them necessarily. But it says we are to test them. We are to try. We are to examine what it is they say. Satan is cunning. 
He's intelligent. He is deceptive. He is a liar. And he is speaking in, 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 in many ways to deceive people in general, and if he could, to deceive God's people, to lead them astray. How does he do that? Notice what it says at the end of this verse. Test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many, what? False prophets. I said I've never heard of spirit, but I've heard false prophets who are the product of Spirits, they are the product of, of, they are the messengers of Satan's message, just like those of us who are believers and are faithful to God's word are the messengers of the gospel. So he's saying there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. That's how the spirits are speaking, and that's who we must discern. What this human being is saying to me, is it from God or is it not? So he tells us how to do that. In the very next verse, by this you know the Spirit of God. He's saying, here's how you're going to know the difference. Here's how you can discern whether the Spirit that's speaking through this individual, through this human being, is from God or from Satan. Here's how you should know, and this is how you should tell the difference. Verse 2, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So he gives us a very clear and simple way of how to discern. How is it that we are discerned? What is the doctrinal standard that we are to go by? And how, how are we to mark those who stray from that standard and understand that they are false? He says this. What do they say about Jesus? What do they say about Jesus? By this you shall know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, does that mean that everybody who believes in Christmas is from God? Everybody that believes that Jesus was born is from God? No. Not saying that. Notice what it says. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come. Those three words, that Jesus Christ. He is speaking of two clear doctrines that we need to understand and we need to discern and use that to discern whether or not someone is speaking from the Bible, from God's word, or they're speaking nonsense. Everyone that confesses Jesus Christ, notice the term Jesus Christ. We use it so often that we, we need to stop and slow down and look how this is connected and what the word of God is saying about this one Jesus. Everyone that confesses that Jesus is Christ, the word, the name Jesus is, is the, the 
human name that was given to the one that God connects to the word Christ is the anointed title of the one that God sent as Savior. So in the Old Testament, he speaks as a Savior coming to the world, the Christ is to be born. The one from God, the anointed one that God has set his approval on. Spoken of from Genesis all the way to Malachi and again expounded on in the New Testament. This is the Christ. And what he's saying is this Christ that God has anointed is the very same Jesus that was born and that lived on this earth, that walked on this earth, that lived a sinless life, died on the cross and ra was raised from the dead. These are one. The Christ is Jesus. He is God's anointed one. He is the Savior. Everyone that confesses that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ who has come. Our salvation is found in no other name than Jesus. By the name of Jesus, we have life. It is Jesus who is the anointed one of God. See, the Jews agreed that God was sending a Savior. And in fact, today they still look for that Savior. Muslims agree that Jesus is a great teacher, a respected man, but they do not agree that he is the Christ, the anointed one of God. Because if they did, they wouldn't be Muslims. They'd be believers and Christians in every sense, biblical sense of that word. So there's a great divide when you put those two terms together. There's one and one only, and that's believers who see this Jesus as the God-sent one and anointed by God, empowered by God, claimed by God to be the very Savior for mankind. So it says those who see Jesus as the Christ. So he's speaking there in two ways. One, he's speaking of the deity of Christ. And he's speaking of the humanity of Christ. Both are significant, important, and both must be received and accepted together. And to reject one or the other is to reject biblical truth that points out Jesus to be who he is. You cannot reject them. If you reject either one, you are, in fact, false. If you preach that, you are false prophets. How do you know the Spirit of God? It says this. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, speaks of his deity, has come in the flesh, speaks of his humanity. Why are they both important? Because God declared that by one man sin entered into the world, and so death has passed upon all men. By one man, salvation has come to mankind. That first one man is Adam, and the second one is Jesus Christ. 
Man cannot save himself. God does that. It is absolutely necessary that this Messiah, this anointed one, be God. And he is declared that way over and over again throughout Scripture in the Old Testament and the New. It is also required that this Savior be a man, be a human being, so that he could give his life, die on the cross, be crucified, be put to death, and pay for the sin of mankind. Not only is it required that he be a human being, that's absolutely required, he needs, he needs to be one of the brethren to save the brethren. He had to be human to save humans. God required that. But he had to be what no other human could be, sinless. A sinless sacrifice to be, to be offered for our sin. And so this Jesus uniquely is the Christ, the anointed God himself stepped down from heaven. But he's also at the same time 100% man. So we say it this way, he's 100% man and 100% God. That is unique to Jesus and Jesus alone. No other being ever exists that has that claim. Jesus. So it says, if you want to understand how the Holy Spirit speaks, he speaks the truth concerning this one, Jesus. And those who speak his truth speak that same way. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Then he says this in verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Everyone that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Those that don't see this truth about Jesus are not from God. In fact, he says, they're not just mistaken. He says, they are, this is the spirit, he says, of Antichrist. We've noted in chapter 2, Antichrist has to do with those who oppose Christ, who are against him. It has to do with that which is the opposite of Christ. And that which is instead of Christ, a replacement of Christ. Anything that's offered as God's Savior that is not in accord with his word about who Jesus is, Jesus as the Christ in his deity, full deity and full humanity, strays from the truth. And we need to treat it that way. And throw it out, reject it. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. It says this, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The Jesus warned about that. We spoke about that when we, when we talked about chapter 2. Jesus warned that this spirit, this attitude, this, this, this will come into the world. And in fact, it was already there. And it's here now. He makes, all through John, he makes the distinction between what is of God and what is not. Then he gives this encouragement, verse 4. Little children, 
you are from God. You are from God. And what goes with that being from God? You have overcome them. You have overcome them. First of all, the word overcome, what does it have to do? It has to do with you, you've won the battle. You've defeated them. In other words, you have not been deceived by these false teachers. You have not been persuaded by them, and you're not influenced by them. That's a mark of God's people. They know the truth when they hear it, and they stick to God's truth. You have overcome them. Well, who is the them? It's the false teachers, the false prophets, the ones who seek a hearing that you won't give it to. You've overcome them. You know, they, they, they always, I should say, they often come off as, as having superior knowledge, as having superior power. You ever see somebody from a false teaching, they, 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 they act like they have this mystic mysterious knowledge that, you know, nobody else can quite attain to. With that comes this great power that you don't understand and they got, but you don't got. John wasn't buying into that. He said, you've overcome them. Don't be fooled by their deceptive lies that they have something you don't have. You have overcome them. Don't fall into that trap. Be confident. That's why we walk with confidence. Not because I'm so strong or I'm so powerful or, or my mind is so put together. I'm confident because I'm the little children he talks about and I have overcome. I have overcome and so have you. If your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is in him. We don't have to be intimidated by this fake power and this fake knowledge. When I was a little boy, my father, of course, was a pastor. He grew up. So we went to church all the time, and oftentimes we went to these other churches, and people would try to act like they had something, you know, they had the Holy Ghost. I went home, Mama, why, why the Holy Ghost act so crazy? I didn't understand that. People foaming at the mouth and jumping and knocking people over and fighting and screaming and hollering and all this. But this was this facade to say, I have greater power. Than, I've got something you don't understand. As I grew up and I understood that God had given me his Holy Spirit. I didn't have to act like that to know that I had the Holy Spirit. He said, I had the Holy Spirit because he gave him to me when I trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. People act like they have a greater knowledge. And John says, don't, don't get tripped into all of that. Little children, you have overcome them. Those who teach false teaching, false doctrine. How did you overcome them? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now he goes on to this distinction about 
those of God and those of the world. And he uses this term or this phrase, the world. And we need to, to, we need to understand, and because the Bible uses it quite often, and, 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 and we need to, to come to grips with what he's talking about. But first of all, he who is in you is greater. The Lord God indwells his people. He indwells his people. I like the way that Jesus act. You know, there's people walking around in Jesus' day acting like they had all this power and that they had all this knowledge. Jesus was not intimidated by them. He did not even, he didn't, also he didn't think that he always had to prove them or prove himself in front of them. But he did have battles with them. But it wasn't to, 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 to gain glory from them. He said, you see glory, I already got it. I know who I am. God has given me what I have and I come from him. So he had a real humility that says, just because you act like you got something, I don't have to, 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 to prove myself to you. And he goes through here and says, hey, look, guess what? Those who are of God listen to us. They listen to us. God has given them a listening ear. I don't have to woo them. When people go, to, you ask what people are looking for in the church, and oftentimes they, they want to see this great charismatic leader who just captures the hearts of people. That's Jesus, not me. God has given me to speak about Jesus. You look at the, the, the messengers in the Bible. John the Baptist was one. He said, look, I, I'm not coming wearing anything great or fancy. I'm coming just to point you to who Jesus is. At the same time, John didn't back down from anybody, including Herod himself. He says, Herod, you, the woman you take as your wife, your brother's wife, you sin before God by taking her. He didn't back down. He knew who he was. The Lord God indwells his people. Satan influences and controls all others. But it says this, God is greater than Satan. If you're like me, you have times when you lay in your bed and you're troubled by the events of the day or the circumstances of your life, and you are tempted to think, what is God doing? Is he working? Has Satan won the battle? But God's word reminds us that God is greater than Satan. Listen, God is not struggling to keep up with Satan. All right? <laughs> I use that analogy, you know, we, you know, uh, we look at the superhero movies. I used to watch the, the Superman, you know, and Superman was so, so in love with, with Lois Lane that, you know, he was trying to save the, 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 the Cub Scouts who were caught in the, in, the, in the wilderness, but Lois Lane was in trouble somewhere else, and he had to go fly and save her. And he get to this battle where he couldn't save them both. And it's, it's like evil had just overcome, and he couldn't keep up with it. Sometimes we picture God like that. God is juggling and trying to do this over here and then do this over here. All of a sudden, this happened over here and all of, and, and he just can't keep up with it all. 
When we rest at night, we need to know God is in full control, even of Satan himself. God is not equal with Satan, and they're struggling out to see who's going to win. Greater is he who is in you than the one that's in the world. God is clearly greater than Satan, so much so that he's using Satan. One of the things that he told his son, Jesus, is sit down until I make your enemies your footstool. I'm going to let you relax, lay back, recline, and set your feet up on them. That's all he's good for, to show you your superiority, and give comfort to you. There's no competition there. God isn't in competition with anything or anybody. There's no equal with him. He is greater. We need to remind ourselves of that. In the battles that we face, greater is the one, God himself, who is in us than the one in the world. So he says in verse 5, they are from the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. So he makes this contrast between the world, the things of the world, and the things of God. And he's done this before in chapter 1, uh, chapter 2, verse 15. He says, don't love the world or the things that are in the world. What is he talking about? Is he saying, you know, don't, don't love God's creation? No, he's not saying that even though we understand we don't, we don't love things. We love God and we love God's people. But he's not talking about the, the necessarily the physical. He's talking about this world system and where it's going and who it's headed by. He, he's saying, look, the world refers to those things that are temporal compared to heaven and those things that are eternal. In reality, God created the world so as he created it, it was all good. There's nothing wrong with that. Except it had a purpose. And it had a temporal purpose, a temporary purpose. It was going to exist for a time frame. And God says, don't get caught up in this temporal system. Don't get caught up in it so that you forget and ignore the eternal. So when he's talking about the world, it's talking about those things that easily captivate us that in some ways may not be wrong, but they, they, they get our attention and our focus rather than God. Don't get caught up in that. The world also, I think, refers to the world's way of thinking. It's earthly thinking. It's temporal thinking versus eternal thinking. The world's philosophy versus biblical or godly thinking. The world's philosophy is a self-centered, self-pleasing philosophy or thinking that opposes God and is not God-fearing or God-thinking. Self-centered. Doesn't the world urge us to do that? You got to take care of yourself. Nobody going to see to you but you. It's a worldly 
thinking philosophy that is centered on us as if I am the God of my world. I'm the center of my world and all things are about me. Instead, that he is God, he is God alone, and all things are to be for his glory, including me. And in fact, I am satisfied and fulfilled when I see him as the one who, who is all in all and myself as his servant instead of the other way around. Even when we pray, and the world prays, they want to make God themselves a sinner as God as the actor that completes their, their plan and their philosophy and their worldview. It's saying, God, do my will, basically. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do my will. Instead of thy will be done, thy kingdom come. God, make my kingdom come. Give me this job, give me this house, give me this girlfriend, give me, give me, give me, give me this money. Give me, give me, give me. You exist for my exaltation, my gain, instead of the other way around. God, I exist for your gain. I exist to bring glory to you. So he's contrasting those worldviews. You notice how Satan, Satan got into trouble when he failed to recognize God as God and wanted to put himself in the position of God. God is no longer worthy in Satan's mind to be worshipped above all else, but Satan is to be worshipped there. And so Satan now leads a system that way. It's interesting that Satan could lead us astray by getting us to focus on ourselves. We're thinking we haven't turned from God. We're just concentrating on ourselves. And in fact, we certainly haven't worshipped Satan when the exact is true. When we turn from God, even when we turn to ourselves, when we turn from God, we are turning away from truth, away from what is right to what? To what is wrong, to what is Satan's way. So Satan has a lot of ways to turn you <laughs> from God. Satan has a lot of ways to turn us and to cause us to lose our focus in God. Worship is a singular focus on God. Anything else is opposed to him. So he says this, they are from the world. Consider the world's view on possessions. Get all you can. The boys with the most toys, the one who dies with the most wins. Now we laugh at that, but we see people live by that philosophy. It's whether you're rich or whether you're poor. That philosophy is still reigning in the hearts of many people. What is their, consider their view, the world's view on money, on possessions, the world's view on marriage, the world's view on pleasure and happiness. Make yourself happy. You are the center of your world. Look at some of the negative. Look at the world's view of pain. Pain is to be avoided at all costs. Avoid it. That's why we worship pleasure or the world worship pleasure as it does. God's view is not that way. Pain is not always to be avoided. Some, some people get into trouble because they think when they come to a crisis, their main thing is I can't go through this. I must avoid this suffering or this pain. That's not God's way necessarily. 
It certainly wasn't for Jesus, his own son, to avoid all pain and suffering. In fact, it was God's appointed path for his son. And so what we seek to do is, God, what is your way? What are you doing in this? Let me follow your will instead of mine. My will says, hey, get out of this. My will says, hey, get the job that makes the most money regardless of how it affects you spiritually. But God's way is no. You may have gone to school as an engineer, but I'm calling you as a pastor. And I call you to that calling. Stick to it. You may find that at the end of your life, you weigh one and weigh the other, and the one has all these material benefits that the other one cannot match. And if you make a decision based on that alone, you have used the world's philosophy to discern what is right and what is best for you. Instead of saying, God, no, I will use you. What honors you? What brings glory to you? What is your way and your path for me. Not what's the path of least resistance, not what's the easiest way for me to do this. What is your way for me? What do you want me to do? And so we need to look at the world system, the way of thinking, philosophy versus God's way. And there's a contrast to the two. He says, they are from the world, verse 5, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. You ever heard a great motivational speaker? I've heard, they, they're compelling. They have you wooed. They have you glued to listening. You, you're locked in to listening to them until you challenge and examine what is the, what, what are they saying? What overall are they leading me to do? Test the spirits. See if they are from God. Are they pushing you to the eternal or towards the temporal? Are they pushing you to embrace the Lord Jesus as your Savior or some other Savior called that in a bottle or that in a tube or that in a vapor or that in a bank or that in a garage? or that in a closet, or that in a refrigerator. Who is your God? Who rules you? Who sets the rules for how you make the decisions? They speak of the world. The world listens to them. Nothing wrong with good investment advice. But there is something wrong with saying, this is my life. And if I don't have this, I don't have a life. Because God says, no, it's not the temporal things of this world that you are to depend on. God says, it's me. They are of the world. The world listens to them. In other words, they make sense to people who don't trust God. Why would they make sense? Because they say some things that are in part true or sound. But if we look at the overall of what it is they're leading to, it is not God's way. 
They are of the world. They speak from the world. The world listens to them. Look at the reverse of that, verse 6. We are from God. We speak the gospel to people. We say, look, you can be saved and be poor and have cancer and die and even suffer in your death. Other people say, wait, wait a minute. That, that, no way, that's of God. No, I'm not buying that, and if that's God's way, I don't want it. That's what they say. And so, they don't listen to us because they don't see what Jesus says. What shall a prophet a man or a woman, boy or girl, if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul, what can you give in exchange for your soul? So he says this, we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We have often tried to dress up Christianity, dress up biblical thinking, so that it is attractive to others. The reality is whether something is attractive or not has to do with your value system. It would never be attractive to those who have a temporal value system. And so we don't need to change the gospel. God has to change the heart to where they value what he's talking about. <laughs> they value the eternal. So we often try to make these things attractive. We often try to present the gospel in such a way that people come running to it. Let me tell you, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of their heart and their life, they come running to God. If God has made a change. He said, that's what happened to you. That's what happened to you. He said, John is saying this, we are from God. He, I think that's, that's a we inclusive. And I also think that when he's talking of, and compared to false prophets, he, it, it has uh, 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 this, this uh, uh, um, apostolic, we call it an apostolic we. As an apostle, he's saying those of us who've been called by God, especially the leaders, the apostles, we are from God. And, and we have a hard time sometimes Selling the gospel. Because <laughs> people don't want to buy it. But he says this. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. So you don't change the message. You recognize a heart needs to be changed before they'll accept that message. And you know what? I can live with that. <laughs> Saying God has to do that work. God has to impact the heart. The way he has impacted your heart, God is able to impact the hearts of others. I was on, you know, I work part-time for delivery service, and I was on the job last week, and I ran across that same day two believers. 
One was inside his, his, his store, and as I came up to deliver a package, he had a Bible on his counter, and he was reading the Bible. I said to him, wow, you're reading the you Bible. I said, are you a believer? He said, yeah. He was excited. He said, I've been a believer for about six years, and, 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 and I'm going to a church where I can ask questions and, and get an understanding. And uh, so I talked, you know, briefly. I didn't have all day to talk to him. It wasn't church then. Had a job to do. <laughs> Near the end of the day, I ran into another, another person. This woman had a, basically a Christian T-shirt on, and I asked her about it, and, and she's, she was just excited. Yes, I am. Are you a believer? Yes, I am, she says. And she was looking for a church. I was way out in Delafield, but she happened to live in Milwaukee. <laughs> I told her about this church and helped her. To make connections, says, you know, we are looking for a church. Praise God. You know what? That's two probably out of a uh, hundred or so people that I interacted with that day. I don't know where the hearts of those others. I didn't have a chance to, to talk with them as I did these two. But it wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't 50-50, and it's not. Those who trust in God are few, but they listen to God's people. They listen to God's messenger. I was talking to, at the funeral, Reggie, he said, you know, my mom had a lot of respect for you. I said to him, I know, but that's not a prideful, no, I know. She respected me because she loved the gospel and she heard the gospel being presented and she loved that and she began to love the messenger because of the message that's what believers do John says they listen to us we're not of the world they listen to us why do they listen <laughs> whoever knows God listens to us So when I hear that someone like Beverly appreciated me, I'm thankful to that. But it's a picture that she listened to God. And whoever was speaking the truth about God was okay with her. That's how it should be. I don't pat myself on the back. I say, God, you get the glory for that. And you get the glory because you call your people, regardless, you know, of my personality. Beverly and I probably had differences in a lot of different things and ways. In fact, I, I'm sure we did because I talked about some of them. Come to understand that. But she loved me and respected me. She loved you and respected you because you were of God. That's what calls us together. Don't get fooled by the flashiness of the false prophet. Whether it's what he wears or what he drives or the way he communicates and woos people, God woos people by his spirit. He changes the heart so they want to hear 
what he has to say. They listen to God, and so they listen to God's messenger. Notice John didn't back down. He said, oh, I ain't nothing. You ain't got to listen to me. No. If I speak what God says, you would do wrong by not listening to God's messenger who speaks what God has to say. But go back to the first part of it. Every messenger of God would encourage you to do what God encourages all of us to do. Test the spirits. He says, test them out. See if they are of God. If they are of God, listen to them, follow them. And if they're not, turn away from them. Embrace God's people. Embrace God's message. Embrace God. Don't hold back. Do it fully. This is how you discern who is of God and who is not. As he mentioned in this, in this word, what do they, do they speak, thus saith the Lord, concerning who the Lord Jesus is? Say, well, why is that the test? Does that mean they don't have to agree with anything else in God's word? No, look, <laughs> they need to agree with everything that God says. And in fact, that's what he's saying. What God says, they say amen to. And it becomes clear to them, they embrace God's truth. They do not deny any of God's truth. That truth starts with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His deity, his full humanity. And God has appointed him to be. He's the one. God said this about Jesus, this is my beloved son, hear him, listen to him. He said, don't disregard him, don't be a fool, and ignore what he has to say. In Psalms 2, he says, kiss the son, lest he be angry. He's calling all the leaders of the world and saying, what's your attitude towards my son? I will judge you based on that. He's calling all people of the world, what's your attitude towards my son? I will judge you based on that. I was in a business place, and I overheard two employees talking in typical talk of the day. And he says, you judging me for this? The other person was so afraid to say, yes, I am judging you. He did everything to scoot back from saying, I'm judging you. We're so afraid of being judged and using the word judge. But God says, you are to judge what is true and what is not true based on how they agree with God's word. And you are to live your life based on that test. Judge, discern the spirits by what you hear, what you hear the man behind that spirit saying. And how can you tell which spirit is behind that man? What is he saying? What is he saying about the Lord Jesus Christ? Is what is he saying in accord with God's word? Father, we thank you for your word today. We pray that we would love your word, love you, and love your people. 
pray that you speak to hearts. Give us that discernment, ability to decide, to look, and to understand based on what your word says. Teach us that, Lord. Teach us your truth. Teach us how to live that truth out in our lives. Jesus is the center of that truth, and what your word says about them, about him, needs to be understood and lived out in our lives. He is who you say he is, therefore I submit myself to him as my Lord and my Savior. That's how I show that I believe that your word is true. Encourage and challenge the hearts of your people today. All who hear your word today, encourage them or challenge them, if they're not believers, to challenge them to turn to Christ. If they are, to embrace all who turn to Christ and embrace none who turn from Christ. Minister to our hearts today. In Jesus' name we pray. As we close our service today, I am going to ask Cliff to allow us to examine God's word today and to close in a word of prayer. Normally, what I like to do is greet you in the back with my wife. You do know that she's in the hospital at this very moment. I'm going to be going there from here, so I won't do a fellowship time with you. I do encourage you to fellowship. I don't know if I'll be back tonight or not. It depends on what happens at the hospital today, but I ask you to pray for her. Pray for me. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Cliff if he would close in a word of prayer as I go to the back of the church.